Um, James has been one of the most, well, let me back up. If you like the book of James, just raise it up. If you're familiar with the book of James, all right, several of you. Here's why, okay? The book of James is not just popular right now, like with you guys, like with you kids and your rap music or whatever, right? Like it's not just popular now, okay? And some of you are like, I don't even like rap music. Good, that's fine. Um, but the book of James has been popular for years and literal centuries. The book of James is one of the most popular books in Scripture, okay? And, and not just for some deep, theological, profound reason, which it is deep and theological and profound, but one of the main reasons James is so popular is because it's easy. It's easy to read and understand. So churchgoers thousands of years ago we're just as lazy as churchgoers now, like you and me. They really are. Um, and it's not just that. And I'm, I'm mostly kidding with that, right? Um, you do need to make things easy to read, right? Like the most profound books oftentimes and, and movies and sermons and articles are the ones that you understand the most clearly, right? So we need, to be, we need to make things easy to read. And for the most part, James is a very easy read, okay? Um, James has always been popular also because it's very practical, okay? James is heavy, heavy practical, especially in church life. And a lot of your parents may say this too, but, but I think for students as well and like some college students as well, give me something practical. Like don't just preach like theology and all this. Give me something that I can do. Like what do I, like now that I've heard this, what do I go do now Monday through Saturday? Give me something that I can do with my hands. James is your guy for that. The whole book, um, not only is it very practical, but the book is full of metaphors and examples. People like, you see it when you start teaching and people like doze or whatever, but then when the pastor starts to tell a story, everybody like perks up. James is full of like stories and examples and metaphors and ways to help you see clearly what he's talking about. He's trying to make it as grassroots easy as possible, as every man and woman like common tongue as possible. That's the book of James. And it's also short. Amen? James is only six chapters. According to Crossway, if you sat down right now and just started reading James, it would take you 15 minutes to bust through the book of James. Now, remember how we talked about before, just because you read it through doesn't mean you understand it all. But that's the thing about James. You take 15 minutes and you read through this book and you're going to understand 90% of it, you're going to be like, Okay, I understand what he's talking about here. I get what he means here. So for those of you who maybe have never really cracked open Scripture at all, James may be an awesome place for you to start. Maybe some of you I know, have, I've talked to you, you're thinking about starting some small group stuff at your school. James might be an awesome place. Again, super practical, super short, easy read, but still super, super profound. Okay, That's the book of James. Um, and James is an awesome book, especially for youth especially for students, because thanks to his practical style, James shows us what faith looks like. And so tonight we're just going to look at kind of the theme of James, just kind of a primer, and then we'll dig into it when we come back from camp and VBS and all that stuff. Um, James helps connect our faith in heaven to our actions on earth. James shows us how faith in the afterlife affects our life right now, he shows us how love for a risen Savior motivates us to love other people. That's the book of James. James, in a, in a phrase maybe, James makes faith visible. James makes faith visible. 
Um, the message of his book is that what Christians do proves what Christians believe or don't believe. What we do proves what we believe. Uh, James is the one who says, be doers of the word, not just hearers. Faith without works is dead. That's James. Care for the poor. James is all about um, what Matt Chandler calls faith that works, right? Faith that works. Faith that shows itself in public. Um, it kind of struck me last week while I was thinking about this. There are people in the world, and you may know some of them. Some of them may be in your own family, but people who say, I can never be religious, I could never believe that there is some being sitting up there that I'm supposed to worship while I'm the one down here doing all the work, right? I don't want to be religious because that means I have to worship some being that's way up there while I'm the one that's actually dealing with everything, right? Um, I could never be religious and just sit there and wait for God to do something. The world is shaped by what people do. It's not about religion. It's what we do that matters, there are people who say that, and I think James would look at that person and say, that's why your religion needs to be Christianity. I think James would agree with that. I don't want to just sit there and wait for this thing, this being up there to move. What, what about what I do? And James takes that into account. Look in your Bibles in James chapter 3. James 3, 13 through 18. I think it's going to be on the board here in just a second. Um, James chapter 3. 13 through 18. And I think this is just a good like description of what the entire book is about. Um, and when I turn there, that's when we'll read it. James chapter 3, 13 through 18. All right, we cool? Here we go. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and his gentleness and wisdom. So let me look at 13 one more time. All right, we good to go? Nice, all right. Here, here we go. It's up here too. And again, I encourage you to use this, right? So here we go. Who is wise and understanding among you? So James is asking, who are those of you who are wise? Who are you that understand the Bible? Who are you that want to do this? By his good conduct, let him show this. All right, so verse 13. Wisdom. Godliness. This is James altogether. Let him show who is wise among you by his conduct. Let him show wisdom. Godliness shows itself in action. Let him show this. Let what does that mean? It means let people see this. Christianity, until very recently, was very much a private religion in a lot of ways. What I do in private is of no concern to you, right? And James would say, No, 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 no. Your wisdom, or lack thereof, your character, or lack thereof, your love for Jesus, or lack thereof, will show itself in public. It will. What you believe will show itself in public. Look at verses 14 and 15. Verses 14 and 15 say this, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom, so jealousy, selfish ambition, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly and natural and demonic. So he calls this stuff demonic. Um, bitter jealousy. Go back one, I'm sorry. Yeah, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, and then go forward one in 15. He calls it 
demonic. Now, again, not in the terms of seances and Ouija boards and all that stuff, right? But in how you act. Um, I looked back on February 6th on the PVN Students podcast, we talked about spiritual warfare. And I would encourage you guys to check that out because it's really not what you think it is. It's not what movies have made it out to be. And James is telling us right here, selfishness, bitterness, jealousy. This is the stuff that you, this is the spiritual warfare that you need to be aware of. Okay? This is the stuff that you need to make war on in your life. Don't be looking around like for demons or whatever. One, because it would scare the mess out of you, right? But two, because like, again, it's this idea, people ask all the time, why are there, like when you hear about demon possession, why is it in like, you know, sorry to like the sixth graders who are just right now, but like, why, why, why do you hear about it in like the forests of Africa? Like, why isn't it here? Why isn't it in Chicago? Or why isn't it in Atlanta? Like, well, for one reason, if I'm Satan and I have limited resources, why would I use those on you when you're hooked on lust or when you're hooked on gossip or when you're hooked on all these other things? James is saying, you've got to look at yourself. Look at these passions in your heart. You've got to make war against those things. That is the spiritual warfare. That's the only spiritual warfare that you need to be concerned with. More so than hauntings and all this other mess which we talked about on February 6th, right? So you want to hear more, go check that out. But that's what you need to be concerned about. And then let's look at 17 through 18. So James 3, 17 through 18. But the wisdom from above, so now we're back to the good kind of wisdom. The wisdom from above is pure, peaceful, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, it's so now James is describing what wisdom is. Okay, Remember, it's about showing this, right? It's about faith that works, faith that people can see. Here's wisdom. What does that look like? What does that mean? James describes it, and he uses this example to help us understand wisdom of a tree that bears fruit. Right? Proverbs 9.10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Worshiping God is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom, closeness to God, Christianity, yeah, I'm a Christian, Christianity, it shows itself. The same way a tree bears fruit to show what it is, people will see your wisdom or your character to really see who you are. If I said, like, here's an apple, right? Here it is. There's no apple there, right? Yeah, but it's in my mind, right, guys? Okay, um, right? So this is common sense, and this is what James is talking about. I have to be able to see it and taste it and touch it, or it's not there, right? I have to be able to see and taste it and touch it. I have to be able to experience this fruit, or it's not there, this apple, or it's not there. It's impossible. If I'm showing you an apple, look at this apple. It's impossible for it to just be something you talk about. It has to exist, right? I'm wise. I'm close to God. I have faith. It's impossible for faith to be something that you just talk about. It has to exist. And James's point is wisdom is visible, Theology is visible. Faith is visible. 
People will be able to see how wise you are or not. People will be able to see how close you are to God or how far you are from God. There is no faith that people cannot see. There is no faith that people cannot see. So this is where this is important. Even if you think you're super close to God in your own mind and heart, but the way you act doesn't show that, you're not as close to God, even as you think. This is what James is telling us. It's about the, the, the orange tree or whatever can try as hard as it can and think as hard as it can that it's an apple tree. But if oranges are what grows, uh, yeah, but if oranges are what grows, it's an orange tree. The fruit is what tells, right? And this is what we have to be watchful for. What you worship will show itself. What you worship, God or not or whatever, what you worship will show itself in your life. If you worship yourself, people will see selfishness, bitterness, ambition. If you worship God, people will see that in your good conduct. Christianity is visible. That's the point. Christianity is visible. The world will see. You will see. Christianity is visible. Listen to Bruce Lowe. True wisdom is not something to be explained or contemplated like an idea. It's not something to be thought about. True wisdom is something you have, and you know you have it by your actions. Here's how you know. You know you have wisdom. You know you have closeness to God based on your actions. This is James's whole theme. All five chapters are about your action. An example is in 1 John 4.20. Okay? 1 John 4.20. So flip over there real quick. 1 John 4.20. Oh, here we go. So not John 4.20. 1 John 4.20. Um, common mistake. So 1 John 4.20 says this. Okay? Here we go. And again, think about faith being visible. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother... He is a liar. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Now, brother could be anyone close to you. Here's what John is saying, and it links up with what James is saying. How do you know that you love the God that you can't see? How do you know that you have wisdom that you can't see? How do you, here's my wisdom. How do you know that you have faith that you can't see? How do you know that you love the God that you can't see? By loving the brother that you can. How do you know that you love the God you can't see? By loving the brother you can see. True Christianity is visible. I've used this example before, I think. Faith is like electricity. Faith is like the wind. You can't see it, but you can see the effects of it. You can't go out there and like, oh, I'm trying to see the wind. Like, what are you doing, right? You can't see the wind, but you know it's there because you feel it, because you see the leaves blowing, right? You see the effects of it, but you don't see it. Electricity, you, how do you know the electricity is working here? Show me the electricity. Well, you look at the lights and you hear the sound coming out, right? You can see the effects of it. Faith is the same way. And this is what James is talking about. 
You can't just say that you have faith, okay? Faith in works is like a coin. It has two sides, and they're both important, right? To say that you have, I only have a heads-only quarter. Well, that doesn't make sense. I only have faith but no works. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't, that doesn't apply here. Faith will be visible. It's going to happen. Um, a lot of people have been in church for a very long time, and they're mean, right? Um, they don't like new people. They don't like giving things up. They're arrogant or territorial. They have no room for mercy or for grace or for patience. They're, immediate, they're quick to judge. Um, there's 50,000 different things I could list. They don't like, and this is for students too, they don't like when the truth of the Bible makes them uncomfortable. It interferes with their politics or with their lifestyle. Been in church their whole life. Or they don't have, and this is a big one we talked about last time in Proverbs, they don't have a lick of common sense. The problem is not stupidity. The problem is bad theology. They think that faith requires just saying that you have it, and then nothing changes. That's what they think faith is. Faith shouldn't impact your common sense. Faith shouldn't impact your wisdom or what you do or what you watch or how you act. What you love should not impact those things. Their faith has in no way affected what they do, so it's not real faith. If we walk outside and there's no leaves moving and I don't feel anything and you're like, wow, it's windy today, I'm going to think you're a little bit out there, right? Because I can't see the effects of it, right? In the same way, yeah, I believe in Christ. I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian my whole life. And I don't see anything in your conduct that reflects that. It's the same thing. We all have this gap in our lives, okay? This is true for all of you. This gap, this canyon, right? We all have this gap in our lives between what God's Word says and how much of it we actually believe and live out. I'm the same way. We all have this gap in our lives. Christianity is about spending your life closing that gap between what you believe and how you act. Believing it more, acting it out more, loving it more, looking more like Christ over time. What you believe and how you actually live that out. That gap closing over the course of your whole life, that's Christianity. So that's what James is about. Now let's close by learning a little bit more about who James is. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 1. So who is James? Who is this guy who is writing this in Scripture. He tells us immediately in the, very first, uh, in the very first word, literally, James. He says it right. There is no confusion as to who wrote this letter, right? It is the first word of the whole thing. James, a servant of Christ. Here's some things that you need to understand and know about James. James is the half-brother of Jesus, okay? We say half-brother because they had the same mom, but James's dad was... Joseph. James's dad was not God. Okay? Fair, right? So James is the half-brother of Jesus. Um, James was a very big deal 
in the early church. And when I say the early church, I mean the time that the New Testament was being written, the time of the apostles, okay? James was a big deal. A um, couple of examples. In Acts chapter 15, there's this debate between whether new believers who are not Jewish, whether they still need to be circumcised or not. Because that's what made you part of God's people in the Old Testament. Those who become Christians, do they need to be circumcised still? Now, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about infant, why we don't baptize babies, right? One of the things Presbyterians believe, and Methodists and Lutherans and you know whomever, is that circumcision carries over into the New Testament through baptism. You circumcise babies in the Old Testament, you, you baptize babies in the New Testament, it carries over. And Acts 15 is a huge part of that. That was two weeks ago. You should check that out. Super important, all right? This is a big deal, right? This is a huge, huge part of church history. And if you, you don't have to, but if you look in Acts 15, James is the one who makes the decision. James is the one who makes the decision that impacts the church. This is where this is important too. It's not Peter, okay? Our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, and again, I'm not trying to pop anybody in here, I'm just telling you what I'm telling you. Roman Catholic brothers and sisters believe that Peter was the first pope. Peter was the first head of the early church. There are a dozen reasons that's not true, but one of them is biblically, James is the one in the early church who makes the big decisions, not Peter. And that's not, I'm not hating on Peter, right? He's awesome. But James is the one that everybody looks to, okay? In Galatians 2, Paul is stating his case as to why people should treat him as an apostle. Why, here's why you should believe that I'm an apostle, right? His title is the Apostle Paul. And he says, here's why you should believe that. And he cites James. He says, James gave me the right hand of fellowship. James welcomed me as an apostle. So in Galatians 2, Paul is saying, don't just take my word for it. Look to James. James is saying I'm an apostle. You, know, you got those friends or like maybe your parents or some of you who like, if they say it, you're going to take it way more seriously than if other people say it. Does that make sense? James was that for the early church. And we see that in Galatians 2. James, James's opinion held sway in the early church. He was seen as trustworthy and as someone with authority. Quick note about that too. A lot of churches, and there are some in Rome, where everyone calls themselves an apostle. Okay, All the elders and deacons call themselves apostles. I would be very hesitant about that. Okay, I would very much put a red flag up with that. Um, Paul uses verification from others to prove his apostleship. He doesn't just call himself that. Anyway, last one. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7. Paul is listing all the people that Jesus appeared to when he rose from the dead. So Jesus rises from the dead and he appears to specific groups of people. He lists James individually. He lists James individually. Jesus rises from the dead and goes to see James one-on-one. -on -one. This is a big deal. So what is James about? Look at James chapter 1, and we'll close up with this. Um, James chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Um, let's see. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion greetings. Here's what he's talking about. James is writing um, the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. James is writing to Israel. Okay, James is writing to Jewish people. Um, let me move down here. James is writing to the twelve tribes abroad in the Old Testament, 
Israel was comprised of 12 tribes. So when he says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes, it's shorthand. He's writing to Israel, okay? He's writing to Jewish Christians, okay? Jewish Christians who have been dispersed. The dispora just means big separation. Dispersed, right? Dispersion. That's what he's talking about. He's writing to these Jewish people who have been scattered all over the known world at the time who call themselves Christians, okay? That's who James is writing to. Well, who cares? He's writing to Jewish Christians. What does that have to do with me? Two goals that he had. Number one, his goal for them was that they don't conform to old school Judaism, that they don't conform conform to all the laws of the Old Testament, which is a big deal for us because right now the Old Testament, the Old Testament is where people talk about same-sex marriage. The Old Testament is where people talk about creation. The Old Testament is where people talk about the law. What is our relationship to that still? Are we supposed to ignore it completely? Are we supposed to pick and choose? What do we do? James helps us with that. And number two, his goal was that they do not become like the world. And this is a huge goal for us as well. How do we live in the world and not be of the world? How do you be friends with those who would definitely not call themselves Christians? How are you friends with those who are in church their whole life, but they still don't really love Jesus? How do you mix with those people? How do you work with those people? How do you talk to those people? How do you do that in a way that helps them and doesn't drag you into something that you don't need to be a part of? How do we do that? James will walk us through that. So I'm really excited for these next few weeks as we walk through that. Um, And in the summer, in your quiet time, maybe start in the book of James. Again, it's very short. You can take 15 minutes and tell your parents, I just read a whole book of the Bible, right? Very short, easy read, super practical, and we're going to walk through it together, right? Let me pray, and then we'll have some announcements, and then we'll be good to go. Father, we begin.